This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. morning. Uh, well, I haven't gotten to meet most of you, and uh, I can't wait to. So my name is Dayton Merrill, and I'm the campus director over at a campus called SIUE. So we'll say it one time so you guys can see if you remember it. It's Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. We're in the campus out of St. Louis region. Super confusing. I get it. You guys don't know St. Louis is right next to Illinois. I understand. Everybody we talk to like, wait, so you're St. Louis? We're Illinois, so we're always confused about it. So, SIUE is the campus, St. Louis is the region. Where are my SIUE Cougars at? We got one more on the way. Tara's coming later, too. So, uh, when she comes, please make sure you, you welcome her. But um, I just want to show you guys real quick a picture of my family. I think, it's, uh, yeah, there we go. So, this is my wife, Hope. Um, we've been married for seven years. And this is my son, Garrison. He's four and a half. And my daughter, Oakland, she is two and a half. So uh, they're here with me. If you haven't gotten to, to meet them yet, I would really encourage you to introduce yourself. Um, for us and our family, this is our first time getting to be a part of STP, and we are pumped. We are really thankful to get to be here with you guys. Um, the students here from SIUE are really thankful and excited to get to be with all of you. And so uh, it means a lot when you guys uh, welcome us, get to know us, uh, ask about our lives. And so um, thank you for doing that, and encourage you to keep doing that, especially with my family because they'd love to get to know you guys. So, um, so uh, with that said, uh, let's just jump right in. So as Reed said, life training. Uh, we thought we'd start with a softball and just kind of, you know, Sunday morning, let's just talk about gender. It's a pretty easy topic. So let's just get into it, you know. Um, so, uh, but, but in all seriousness, uh, from the outset, you probably aren't going to get all of your questions answered this morning. So. Uh, may, maybe lower your expectations for me a little bit. Um, but uh, what we do hope to do is, is give us a little bit of a foundation and some groundwork, lay some groundwork of how we can have this conversation in a biblical way to get a little bit closer into what, what God uh, really would have for us as believers and the way we approach the world and also how we, we understand ourselves and who he's made us to be. Um, so my goal this morning, uh, I'm going to attempt to show us God's good, wise, and beautiful design of making a gendered humanity. So that's one, one goal. The second goal is, is uh, I want to help us see how we can interact with a lost world that wants to reject God's design. And thirdly, we're going to look specifically at biblical masculinity. So next week, uh, next Sunday, Emma Garcia is going to be uh, giving a talk on biblical femininity. So this week we're kind of doing almost kind of three things in one, but we're going to give a good chunk to, to, uh, to uh, uh, biblical masculinity. Uh, and the next week, uh, Emma's going to follow it up and um, address biblical femininity. So here's what we're going to do. First, first thing, I'm just going to put, a, put a, a statement up here. And I want you guys to talk within your, in your, uh, your rooms about this, this, uh, this statement. Gender is a social construct. I'm sure you've never heard that before. But if you have, uh, and I'm just kidding, maybe um, gender is a social construct. So I just want you to talk with your, your room or people around you. And just these two things. What do you agree with? Is there anything you would say like, yeah, yes, I totally agree with this. Um, or it's like, there's parts of it. 
and then move on to what do you disagree about? What don't you like about? So that's all I'm saying. You, you just talk. Go. Constructed in our, our socially driven uh, society. So, 
Um, but on the other hand, uh, maybe from a biblical perspective, we might be saying, I don't know, I, I think there's a, there might be a design behind this that we can't get away from something that is innately a part of who a man is or who a woman is. So that, that's what we're going to get into a little bit uh, here this morning. And so, um, even as I said to, you know, big talk uh, this morning and a lot of these talks, what I would say is from my, my experience of projects, this is my, this is crazy, my 11th project I've gotten to be a part of. Um, and I don't remember many of the talks. I'll just say that. So hopefully I didn't just lose all of you and say, like, I'm not going to say anything. But my point is, uh, what the talks always did for me and what I've seen do for so many students is it, it helped set you up for great conversations with your room leader, uh, with the people in here, with the staff, throughout the rest of the summer. And it's doing stuff for us whether we're thinking about it or not. It's really helping reshape us uh, to, to really conform to the Lord's, Lord's will. So uh, I say that to help, help you see, you know, uh, really the hope for this is to give us more good conversation like you just got a little taste of right there. Um, so, uh, with this, this question for me, um, I've got a front, front row seat of seeing uh, two little humans growing and developing in their, in their own little genders, right? So, if you go back to that picture, um, you know, Garrison is four and a half, boy, two and a half, Oakland, girl. And uh, it is pretty remarkable to see the differences between them. Now, what I would say is 90% of them is the same, like uh, their developmental stages almost exact. Uh, so much more of them is the same than it is different. So I, I think that's, that's important for, for us to say and to think about is like, we're way more like the other gender than we are different. Uh, we tend to maybe, I don't, where we come from might be different, but we tend to maybe want to see the differences so often. But really, we're very much more alike than we are different. But uh, there are some clear differences. Um, just a quick example. Uh, it's just interesting. We never taught our kids uh, which toys they should play. Yeah, sure, we got them certain ones we thought they'd be more interested in. But from a very young age, uh, when Garrison encountered baby dolls, uh, they turned into footballs or they turned into spaceships recently. They, his sister's baby dolls so somehow turned into, I don't know, a spaceship. And, um, and that's how he plays with it. And we didn't say, hey, buddy, you should start imagining this as something else. And he just did it. Um, and likewise, his little sister uh, will find his little action figures, his little Avenger action figures, just start pretending like they're babies. It's like, come on, that's cat. This is, that's not a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the point there is, there's something different. There, there's something different about them, and they didn't get taught that. It just kind of came out. There's something in the stuff that they're made of. And just one of them, they, they just wanted to be that way. And... Uh, and I, and I think that's, that's because they're designed. So uh, I think the next slide is Psalm 139. So Psalm 139, 13 through 16 is what it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed from you, when as yet there was none of them. Uh, beautiful, beautiful wording, beautiful picture of the intimate, intricate design of God that He knew us when we were in our in the womb of our mothers. Um, and he designed us. He specifically and intimately designed you and me. Um, 
like that's something we could just stop and just ponder on for a little bit and just hopefully be kind of taken aback. That the God of the universe, out of billions of people who've ever existed, he took time on you. Amazing. And because of that, uh, he, he designed us, and there's a, there's a designer behind, behind the design. And uh, the desi- a designer has a purpose. And uh, so when we think about this conversation about gender, um, I think it's something that is important for us to think about. There's, there's, if there is a designer, it's important for us to know a little more about him. I've got a quote here from A.W. Tozer. Maybe some of you have heard this before. It says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So that's kind of like a, we could do that same discussion. Thing like, what do you like about that? What do you not like about it? Um, that's a big quote, and I think he's right. Because I think what he's getting at there is our understanding of the creator of the universe, the, our designer, who we think him to be is going to flesh out into all areas of your life, including your understanding of your gender and gender in general. And so, um, you know, uh, you can also do that vice versa. So if you have an understanding about gender, uh, that's probably because it's been informed by your view of God, whether you think about it or not. We're not sitting here thinking, oh, my understanding of gender is because I see God this way. Nobody's really thinking like that, but that's, that's the result. Who we understand God to be will shape everything, but in particular, our, our understanding of gender. So, um, if we're going to start in Genesis 1-1, and here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it doesn't say anything about gender. But where do we live? Earth. So, simple. But uh, he, he created it all. In the beginning, there was nothing, and God was there, and he created it all. So if we use a little bit of logic, everything else that comes after that, okay, God must have made it. So he's the designer. He's the one who set things in motion. He's the one who has made all things. So uh, we want to look at, okay, what was God's good, wise, and beautiful design, his intended purpose for having a, a gendered humanity? Um, so in God's design, he, he made humans to be in his image, to represent him, to, to be uh, a reflection of God's character in the world. Um, there, there's a term, viceroy, um, if you read the Star Wars, there was only there was, there was a vice. I, that was the first time I ever heard the term viceroy. It's, it's like a, a, a political governmental term. But a, a viceroy is somebody who is a ruler on behalf of the sovereign in, a, in another location. Similar to like an ambassador, but yet they're a ruler in that location. And uh, that is who God made Adam and Eve to be, is to be viceroys, to be, to be uh, rulers over what God had made in the world. And so here's, here's where uh, Genesis 1.27 was said. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So that's what I've already been talking about. But this is this clear, clear picture here. God made man, and he made man to be male and female. Man there is human. He made humans. We can substitute that term in there. Um, he made us in his own image to be reflectors, to be imagers of who he is in the world. And so this is a joint calling. It's given to both. You don't see here uh, God made man um, and he made him in his image and then female came afterwards. No, no, he made, he made both of them in the image of God. They are both equal image bearers of God and image God in different ways as we're going to see as we talk about masculinity and feminine. Um, Genesis 128, the very next verse. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, God now is blessing them and giving them a command. He's, he's called them to go and do something. He's giving them this mandate. I just made this world and I just made you and you are the, the pinnacle of my creation. I made you in my image. I didn't make anything else in the world. No other animals were made in my image. And now I want you to do something. I want you to fill it. I want you to have kids. I want you to make it better. I want you to have dominion over the fish of the, the sea of the animals or the birds. I want you to help it flourish. I want you to help it be the best that it could be. And even in that way, he's calling them to image his, his, his work that he's done as a creator, as an administrator, as, as one who helps make things look beautiful and develop and grow. He's basically, this, this verse is called the cultural mandate in some uh, theological terms. But what it is, it's, it's God calling his people to go and create and make culture and make things better and have dominion over you. What a uh, unbelievable command and commission from the God that to go do that. And that was God's intention and still is the intention of mankind is to, is to do this, to carry this out. It looks different now today. And we'll get into that. But that was what he made Adam and Eve to do. How dignifying it is that God would give that type of a, a responsibility and a privilege to do that. And so he called, in God's good design, he called man and woman together to work shoulder to shoulder in the design to fill the earth through multiplication, to bring creation into greater order and create and make nature. And so, uh, yeah, but the problem is, is it didn't stay that way, right? We wouldn't say that uh, this is all uh, perfectly happening today. Um, and if you remember the story that it didn't stay perfect in the garden, that uh, Adam and Eve actually uh, chose to not uh, live in the perfect relationship with God that they had. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3. So uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So before this, the serpent has not been mentioned at all. And this, that, that verse is, it kind of, when you read the flow of Genesis, it kind of, it's like, jumps out at you. Like, wait, wait, where does it fit? Like, where did the serpent come out of? What? Where, where is he coming from? And uh, as you read it, it, there's intention behind this. Because this, this account here just doesn't make sense. If you, think about it. If you think about the beauty and perfection that was happening. All of a sudden, what's about to happen here, it should feel like this doesn't fit. That, that's, that's how we should feel. So, um, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall eat, not eat any of uh, any tree in the garden? <clears throat> and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate. And the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves one clouds. So, um, there's a, there's a whole lot we can look into in this this uh, this account. This is this is called the fall. 
Eve is when um, Adam and Eve fell from uh, the perfect relationship of being with God, um, and they chose to deviate from God's good design for them. It's interesting, uh, what they were tempted with is that they would be like God, knowing good and evil. At the core of what they were tempted with is that they had the opportunity, what they, what they believed is that they had the opportunity to get something that God was holding out from them. That at the core of it, they thought that God wasn't giving them the best. And they thought that they knew what was better for them than the one who made them. Okay? That's important for us to get here. That's really the root, and this is literally the root of sin, is where it started. The core of our sin is, is really believing that we know what's better than God and we want to be our own God. Okay? And it didn't just stay there, right? It, get, it gets messier from there. <clears throat> they, were, they were ashamed, and so um, they sowed fig leaves. They were naked before that. They never had any reason to cover themselves up because they were, they were free. There, there was nothing to be ashamed of, but now they were ashamed because they knew that they had done wrong. So sin now has brought God's good, ordered, beautiful design into confusion and chaos as creatures try to act as though they are their own creators who know what's best for them. So all of mankind has chosen to ignore the reality of God's authority and rule over their lives and embrace a false, destructive idea that they can be their own rulers and authorities. Um, another word for this today would be uh, self-autonomy. Um, that, that's something that's pretty, uh, pretty prevalent in our world today. And actually, like, I would say um, in, in our society, in our Western society, in American society, it, it maybe is the core value in our world today. That you and I have the absolute right to be and do and think and say whatever we feel is right for us. The term your truth that's a relatively new phrase. What's your truth? That, that's something that's new because it's coming out of this idea that we can actually have our own truth that is separate from the rest of the world. And nobody can tell us that it's wrong. So you see that a stark contrast from the design of God, right? They've deviated from a good creator's design and they've said, no, we're going to act like we're our own creators. But the problem is, no matter how much they try to act like it, uh, no matter how much we try to pretend like we really are our rightful rulers or lords of our own lives, it never works. It might feel like it works for a little bit, but it always gets stuck. It runs into somebody else's uh, self-autonomy, and it gets messed up, and it gets messing up over and over again. Because as much as we want to think that we are, we still aren't. Uh, we are creatures. We are not the creator. So that's the broken reality that we're in. And, and that's just generally, you know, I didn't even talk anything about gender yet. That's just the reality of sin and how it's infiltrated our world. And it's infiltrated every area, every arena of life. And in particular, in gender, it's, it's come to the... To the uh, you know, really in the past four or five years, uh, it's, it's really accelerated, right? Um, issues of, of gender and sexuality have seemingly come out of nowhere, at least for me and where I'm coming from. You know, I know Minneapolis is a different city than St. Louis. Um, it's accelerated so quickly. It feels like, where's, what's happened? Where did this come from? I, I thought this was kind of like, you know, people didn't, I didn't know people thought this way. Um, 
and it might seem illogical, but at the same time, if we, if we follow the logic of sin and the self-autonomy, it begins to kind of make sense. Um, when you take God out of the equation, when you take the creator out of the equation, and you give all authority on the creation and the creatures, things get pretty confusing pretty quick because there's a million different definitions of what something is. And who are you to define what somebody else thinks? You know, that's where it gets really confusing and really difficult to understand, particularly in the conversation about gender. So I say that to help us get an understanding of wherever you're coming into this conversation, and if, if you have some frustration with, uh, with, with anything in the LGBTQ plus movement, or particularly transgender, if, if you're just like, how do you get this? It's completely confusing, it's just silly to me. Or if you're on the other side, it's like, no, this is right. Um, it's important for us to get, see where our thinking is coming from. Um, and so uh, that, that's where I want to go next is what's, what should the biblical response be to this, this gender confusion, I would say. Um, because there is, there's a real gender dysphoria. That's a term that's out there a lot, right? Um, young men and women are experiencing it uh, sadly so early in life now. Um, where uh, they're being told over and over again, you could essentially be whatever gender you want to be, or, or not be a gender, and um, and so there's this confusion that's happening for young young adults, and, and not only young adults, but even people um, in their adulthood, um, as they're beginning to hear, oh, there's actually different ways you can think about this, and uh, it's just breeding so much confusion, and, and frankly, so much damage in people's lives, whether we're hearing it out there or not. Um, the statistics are actually pretty uh, heartbreaking of how much damage is actually doing. For a lot of people, whether they are transgender or not, it's just a confusing thing for people to interact with. And um, so, you know, if you, you might be somebody like me. When, when I heard this conversation or I began to hear these things about, um, about gender issues and transgenderism, I just begin to be like, that's this is just my... This is my, my gut reactions. That's silly. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but as I said, as I begin to think about it, it does make sense to carry out the logic and, and the, under, the worldview that people have. And I think um, if we begin to, uh, to think about how to really approach this, I think, um, well, I'll say this, before we think about how we would interact with the world about this, I think a helpful, um, helpful phrase for us to think through in this is, uh, is, is this uh, ontology trumps autonomy. So I mean that ontological things or ontology is, is the study of the things that are of, of, of existence that are, that are like real substance. Um, and autonomy, as I've said, is kind of like the person's you know, right to, to do whatever they want, like uh, someone's prerogative um, to be who they want to be or do what they want to do. But ontology trumps autonomy in that what is true out there in the world, in our existence, uh, will never be trumped by someone's personal time. A simple example, if I'm convinced I can fly and I want to go up on the top of the roof of this building, and I am going to fly because I am so sure I can. When I jump off, autonomy, or on, uh, ontology wins. Uh, gravity wins, right? So that's just a, that's a very simple example of that. Um, and what I mean by that is, again, I already said a little bit but that, um, no matter how we try to address this, there's something that's innately designed in us. As I talked about my children, there's just something about a female, there's something about a male 
that no matter what we try to do or how we try to think about it, talk about it, we just can't get away from something, something that was ontologically true of us. But now the question is, how, how do we interact with a world that is increasingly uh, accepting more of the self-autonomy that, that we just kind of have to follow suit and you have to agree and you have to, you know, affirm everything about every person's life, no matter what. How do we interact with that? Well, I would say um, there's a, uh, a pastor in our church. Um, he's really helped me think through this. Um, his, his brother actually is transgender, and uh, he's, a, he's, man, he's, just, he's done such a great job personally, but then even like helping our church begin to just think about this, especially in a, a rural Midwestern area. It's just not a conversation people are ready to have a lot of times and want to have. But he's done a great job helping our, our congregation think through this. And um, he shared this, this, this illustration. I think it's really helpful. This is a train track. This is a model for us to think about. As we think about how to approach and interact with people on the topic of gender, um, particularly LGBTQ maybe issues as well, um, is that we got two rails here. There's orthodoxy and compassion. So what he's saying is uh, we need to have right belief, orthodoxy, that term means just right belief, and right response, compassion. So uh, without one of these, we're, we're on a, a, a one-rail train, and we're going to derail pretty quickly. What I mean by that is, is if we're coming in pretty strong with our truth, we know the biblical truth, and we say, hey, that is wrong, and you should not live this way. You need to know there's one way, there's one God, and you're trying to live your life the way you want to live it, that is completely illogical and wrong. That is going to damage a lot of people, as I'm sure you've probably seen and heard in all the different kinds of areas. But on the flip side, if we don't have that orthodoxy, if we don't have that right belief, and we come into these relationships and really do want to like come alongside and refer people and get to know them, but it lacks any any sense of truth or, or any sense of uh, God's authority in our lives, then that's also equally damaging. It might not look look like it from the outset, um, but it is it is equally damaging in that person's life. Um, to affirm something that is actually creating more and more uh, dysfunction in their life. It'd be the same uh, in a lot of other ways if we were to continue just to affirm people in their sinful other path. Other path. Um, for us to just say, yeah, it's okay. You know, it, this, this, this is just a helpful um, uh, diagram, I think, for us to think about as we interact with people. Are we willing to, uh, to be... Uh, compassionate and truthful. I think about Jesus. John chapter 4. Uh, one of my favorite interactions Jesus has with a person is with, with one from Samaria at the well. The one at the well. And um, in John chapter 1, actually, it says that Jesus was full of, uh, full of grace, truth and grace. Um, grace and truth. And I think a lot of ways we could say this is grace and this is truth. And the way he interacts with the woman at the well, I'm not going to read the story. But um, it's this woman um, who is a social outcast. Uh, she's from a different ethnicity that uh, the Jews had no dealings with. So that's strike one. Strike two, she's a woman. At that time, men and women did not publicly interact if they didn't know each other. That's strike two. And strike three, she was, uh, she was a sinner. Um, she had, uh, had five different husbands, and the one she was with right now wasn't her husband either. But Jesus interacts with her and shows her the most dignity that she's probably ever been shown in her life. And she opens up and she's like, she feels the grace. She feels the compassion from Jesus and she leans in. She's like, 
hey, give me this living water you're talking about. He's talking about himself. But then he addresses the, the issue of her life. He addresses, hey, there's something that's keeping you from me. And, and we, we need to deal with that. There's some truth we have to talk about. You can't continue to live your own life with you being the center of your world and follow me and be in relationship with me. You have to surrender that and let me be the Lord of God because I'm, I'm the rightful Lord. That, that's that's a, a really helpful picture of how you interact with someone uh, with compassion and love. So, um, and there's so much more about this. And I'm frankly not, not qualified really to, to teach on a lot of psychological issues that go along with, with all of these things. Um, but my hope for this is just to give us just give us a, a, something to begin to think through, something to hang on to, and some. Uh, I think that diagram is helpful for us as we begin to think about interacting with the world, really in all areas, but particularly about maybe gender. And um, so, if that uh, last chunk here, I want to talk about biblical masculinity in particular. Um, so I know not all of you in here are men. Um, in a lot of projects in the past, we've, uh, on projects we've been a part of, a lot of times we've just only talked to the guys about what it means to be a man, to be a biblical man, a godly man. We only talk to the women about what's a guy. And uh, I'm really thankful for doing this. I think it's been really helpful for us to think about, man, we need to hear each other's. We need to hear what God has designed men to be, what women to be. To be. So I'm really thankful for this opportunity to do this. So, um, so you know, in, in a lot of ways, I'm, there's a lot of this that might be uh, primarily addressing men, but it's for the benefit of women as well for you to understand uh, more of who God designed men to be, his brothers we have in this room. And so, um, you know, I, I think uh, when it comes to masculinity, you know, I mean, there might be uh, feelings you have when you do that term masculinity. Uh, I'd say, in our, in, rightly so, in our society today. It's called out many wrong perceptions about masculinity. It's exposed the wickedness has been perpetuated by men um, that has been allowed to persist for maybe thousands of years. Um, and this is a very good thing. Um, and it is, is this even including the church? You know, this is something that is, uh, is good that there are, our society is, is beginning to call out. However, um, I think we're living in a unique time that men have a difficult time to figure out um, what they're living for, if that makes sense. Uh, it's, it's difficult for men, in a lot of ways, for young men to kind of feel like, man, what, what am I, what, who should I be? Um, I'm getting told what not to be. But there's a really, it's really hard for me to kind of think, who have I been called to be as a man? So that's, I, um, that's one of my biggest burdens uh, that's kept me doing what I'm doing for as long as I'm getting to go into my 10th year next year uh, in college ministry, which I'm pumped. I'm excited for. I'm thankful for. And uh, I've interacted with a lot of young men over those years. And, um, you know, me personally, as a man, I'm, in, I'm intentionally trying to grow as a godly man myself. I'm, I'm, inten- I'm trying to grow and understand what it means to be a biblical man myself. And I've been endeavoring to do that with young men uh, for almost the past 10 years as well. And so I think... Uh, I think the sad reality is men a lot of times are just not being called to a higher standard. They're not being shown the dignity and the design that God has given to them. So it's both heartbreaking and infuriating for me to see men, man after man, resort to selfishness and boyish tendencies rather than selfish, selfless manhood that they were made to experience and exhibit in the world. And, um, you know, so you men here, um, 
you know, my desire for you is that you would have a deep confidence in the strong desire that God has given you, and that you would uh, work to carry out God's calling for you out of confidence that you have what it takes, and that you don't have to prove it to anyone. Um, and we're going to get into that a little bit here. So, um, in order to do this, we really do need to get back to the designer's original design uh, for who God made man to be, particularly. So in this too, you know, we're not, not getting into um, uh, both both in Emma's talk and my talk. We're, we're not attempting to address primarily uh, uh, man and woman's roles within marriage or man and woman's roles within the church. We're talking more uh, more generally about who God's designed them to be. Um, so there's going to be other talks that are going to deal with more of how men and women relate. And uh, even within sexuality as well. And so there will be other talks for those. But first first one, God's purpose for masculinity. God's purpose for masculinity. Um, so if we looked, uh, you know. Um, in, well, in Genesis 2, um, God put... Adam in the garden, um, he made him, and he, uh, his purpose for him, God designed him for a relationship with him, and God designed man to work and to cultivate and to accomplish and succeed and affect. He called him to, to do, to move, to move into creation and to affect. Now that sounds very broad and general. But that was really what God called him to do. Um, he called him to image God, um, and he designed man uh, also for relationship with others. He needed a helper. Uh, he needed a co-laborer in this world. And that's, that's what he brings even in the picture as well. So God's purpose for masculinity is, is for us to really, like we said earlier, to be the vice world, but also to be one who, who would lead and serve and give of himself in creation uh, for the good of creation, for the good of uh, mankind and for the good of creation to give of himself and to, to, to work, to do. And um, this is a really good thing. I think, you know, we, we think about this idea of work. A lot of times we have a total understanding of work. And I, I wasn't there for the work talk yesterday before you guys went to work. But um, a lot of times we think about work as like, oh, I've got to do it. But um, work existed before sin. So work apparently is a good thing. It's part of, uh, part of paradise. And uh, if you think about it, you know, this is true for men. Well, this, a lot of these things I'm talking about here are, are not necessarily just men experiences this. But um, you think about it, that there's something that, that happens within us um, when, we're, when we're succeeding and accomplishing what we were made to do. Um, uh, I think of, um, there's, a, there's a famous runner named Eric Liddell, uh, Riddle. Um, he, the movie Chariots of Fire was made after him. And uh, he was an extremely fast runner. God designed him to be a really good runner. That was what he you know, was convinced that God called him to be. And he was an Olympic runner. And, um, and the famous quote from him is, he said, when I run, I feel God's smile. Or I, I feel the joy of the Lord when I run. Uh, and uh, I think that's, that's a really good picture and, and a, good, uh, a good description of what happens when we're, when we're exerting and, and, and doing what we're, what we're made to do. And we're effective in, in blessing the world. And I think that's really something that men have that good desire in us. Um, but the problem is there's, there's a curse on masculinity. So if we look at uh, Genesis chapter 3, I think I've got it up here. The 
Oh, yeah. And so he said, and to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles you shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you, uh, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So as a, as a man, uh, for Adam, God's curse, uh, and we'll see this in the femininity talk next week, the curse cuts right to the, to the core of, of who a, a man and who a woman is. Um, and what, what God is, is showing here, and what he's done is he said, hey, but the thing I've called you to do, to cultivate the earth, to, to make it better, to, to create, to do more, um, it's going to be really, really tough now. And it's not going to work out the way you want it to. You're going to experience a ton of disappointment. And it's not going to come easy. You're going to experience a lot of suffering. And um, so when man selfishly chose to abdicate the responsibility God gave him to not eat from the tree, which uh, we didn't see this passage, but actually the, the command to not eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that command actually was prior to Eve being created. And so Adam was the one who initially was received, received that command. Don't eat from this tree. You can have any other tree, but don't eat this one. Because this is reserved only for God. Um, when, when, when Adam abdicated his responsibility, uh, man, this is when the entrance of, of sin came in. It was Adam's responsibility. Instead, he selfishly chose to do what was right in his own eyes and disobey God. He chose to eat of the tree. He chose to listen to his wife's voice. And he chose to, to let her eat of it as well. He did it himself. So it, it was... Uh, that was how it entered in. And so, you know, this curse, God cursed the work that Adam would do, would do, and work would be very, very difficult. So, you know, when you think about this, Adam is now always simply looking inward and refuses to look outward as a result. So, um, I think the way this begins to play out in our world, because of the difficulty of our work and the frustration of it, it causes us to begin to ask the question, do I have what it takes, or, or am I enough? <laughs> yeah, am I enough, or do I have what it takes? Um, I, I would venture to think every man, whether they've said that question, you've been saying it with your life in some way. By how you're, you're living and what you're going after, you're, you're kind of asking that question in some way, shape, or form. Because we hear a lot of people talking about life difficulty with fathers if they had an absent father or, or maybe their father was there but it was just relationally distant and they're left always kind of trying to prove themselves to their father that, that they're worthwhile, that they have enough, that they have what it takes to be a man, whatever that is and uh, it controls men far more than you realize um, it controls me far more than I realize I think about the things that I was willing to do in order to get my dad's approval. Uh, I think about the things I've been willing to do again, other men in my life who've been leaders in my life, to do whatever it takes to prove that I, I have what it takes. Um, that is a strong, strong desire that men have. And uh, I would say it's not all wrong. Um, it's not all wrong that we have that desire to, to feel like we've got what it takes. The problem is it's out of order. Um, the problem is Adam never asked that question before sin. 
He never asked the question if he had what it took or if he was enough, if he was able to do what God had called him to do. He just did it because he was in perfect relationship with the Father, with God. But now it's flipped. And there's this, there's this fear and insecurity that we don't have enough. We are incapable of being the man that God has designed us to be. And then this plays out in a couple different ways. I think uh, I think this, this well, I hear a quote from Eric Mason. I think this, this is really helpful for us to see. Um, oh yeah, our separation from God is so embedded that our dysfunction has become the normal. So what, what I think that's helpful from this is from Eric Mason's book, Man of Restored. Um, it's a simple thought, but it, our idea of how the world works and what it means to be a man is so like, what we're just swimming in it all the time, the confusion and dysfunction, we just kind of think that's just how it is, you know. We just assume that maybe dads are kind of just emotionally distant from their sons. Or we just kind of assume, you know, what we see on TV shows where, you know, the man's just kind of this idiot and he doesn't really, like, you know, step up to responsibility. We just kind of assume that you're supposed to play, you know, 10 hours of video games every day. We just kind of assume certain things in our culture because that's just what it seems, right? That's what we keep seeing everything around us. And, and we're so embedded in the dysfunction that it becomes normal. And that's what's getting at. I think it's important for us to call out the reality. That's not normal. That's not what God has called us to, to be normal. God has called us to be So I think we respond to this, this, this question, do I have what it takes or am I enough in a couple of ways? I think we try to either overcompensate for our insecurities or we try to, to escape the responsibilities that God's called us to I think this looks like, you know, we're trying to overcompensate, you know. Um, it, it, it shows up in a lot of different kinds of ways for them. But I think it shows up in competing. Um, and you can compete in any area of life, you know. Uh, I think it shows up in the way that we just want to prove that we're better than the next person. Whether that be in sports, video games, school, um, you know, even socially. I, I'm, I'm more funny than that other guy, or I'm more like than the other people in this room, whatever. Um, out of insecurity, we go there because we want to prove. Do I have what it takes? I think it shows up in the way that we work overly hard, work on workaholism. I would say it shows up, especially in grown men in that way, but even in young men, just I'm going to work so hard to prove I have what it takes. I'm going to work super hard to be successful, to accomplish achievements, to prove I've got what it takes. Or it shows up, I think, even in, in our overly, um, I think, Really, in the past uh, five years, I've noticed, ten, ten to five, five, ten years, um, men are more concerned with their physical appearance, maybe than ever before, um, and, and working out, which is like, man, that's, that's great, we should work out. But um, to the point where it's like, and there's something, there's insecurity that's driving most men in the, the pursuit to just be cut, to be jacked. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I want to prove that I'm enough, that I have what it takes. I think it shows up in relationships. Uh, I think it means uh, I have seen it. See men position themselves in such a way to kind of uh, be seen in the right light, to, to be to be desired both by women and also to be admired by other men. Um, and you know, I think uh, that's just that. Those are just a few few examples of how that plays out. And I think the damage that begins to do is it begins to create divides in relationships. Um, because we're always competing or trying to prove that we're worthwhile, we have a lot of times men that have an inability 
to let people into who they really are because we're too insecure to open ourselves up out of fear of somebody saying, you don't have what it takes, you aren't enough. That's probably our greatest fear in a lot of ways, that we don't want to open up, we're too insecure to get that way. And that's, that's a scary place to be in. I, you know, I, I get the butterflies in my stomach thinking about that, thinking about the times where I've been exposed in those ways. That's one way that we try to overcome. So the other way is I think we just try to escape responsibility. So in one way, we're trying to like, man, I got to move On the other hand, it's like, man, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And uh, we do this, you know, by one, one major way. So we, we do it by running pornography, uh, to fake love, to to something that's going to make us feel better, to escape maybe the, the reality that we've advocated our responsibilities. Um, that's not the only reason people get into that. It's one way. I think it shows up in, in immersing ourselves in, in, in video games and entertainment, just uh, media or anything like that, just an overconsumption of those things as a means to just kind of forget and numb the reality or the feeling of not being who I should be or what the world tells me I should be. I think another one is just sleep. Um, I think uh, men uh, have more of a propensity to want to escape and sleep in that way. I, I, I remember growing up uh, in junior high, I even did it in the high school, I think. Um, I would try to avoid uh, certain chores that I knew were coming by taking a nap because I was convinced that my parents would say, oh, you sleep, it's okay. It never worked, but I always tried to do it. And I actually, to this day, I'm pretty good at falling asleep like that, so I, I can escape a lot of things. But in all seriousness, I think that is a way that we just, it's so funny how many times I interact with guys, uh, not funny, just, uh, I guess I'm lying, but how many times I interact with guys, they just list off, man, I'm so busy this week, I got this test, I need to study, and I'm like, oh man, okay, so you go back to you and start going to study, as I'm saying goodbye to them, they're like, ah, I think you're going to take a nap. <laughs> Wait a second, you got like five things you got to do before you go to sleep tonight, and so, uh, but that's just an example there, it's just like, we just... But um, and thankfully, this isn't the last word that God has for us. This isn't the last word that is over you as men. This is not the reality that we have to stay in and that we get that we will stay in. And it's this: is that uh, God's redemption of masculinity. God's redemption of masculinity, and it happens through Jesus. Um, so Jesus, uh, he is the example and fulfiller of manhood. Everything that God called Adam to be, Jesus was. Um, all the ways that God called Adam to, uh, to flourish and bless and selflessly give himself for the sake of creation and for his people, Jesus did it. Um, Jesus didn't abdicate responsibility. He, he set his face like flint and went directly towards what he was called to do. Um, every, every, at every corner when, when Jesus had the opportunity to say no to what God had called him to he, he said yes he always did it and he took him all the way to the cross and Jesus was the perfect man he was the man who had what it took he, he was enough but he died as if he wasn't enough as if he didn't have what it takes as if he was one of you and me um, as if he was he was a sinful man who deserved to experience God's wrath for, 
for saying no to him and abdicating the responsibilities he's forgiven. But uh, thank the Lord that he didn't stay dead, right? Because what happens when he rose from the grave, he not only defeated our sin, uh, not only saved us from hell and, and, and brings us uh, into a right relationship with God, but he also restores your manhood. He restores who you were made to be. This is, this is key. I think this is something that we, I frankly miss a lot of times. Is that what Jesus did, he, he didn't just save us from our sins and so now we can just kind of like, oh, I'm good, and just kind of, I hope you understand that's not, that's not, uh, that's not the power of the gospel. It doesn't leave us where we were. But he restores something that was lost. What was lost at the fall. Your ability to be who God made you to be. He restores it. He restores your ability to selflessly give of yourself and work and achieve and create for the good of, of creation and for God's glory. To be an image bearer. Uh, and he, he allows us to be restored to what he made us to be. And so, um, you know, in Christ, we're not who we once were. We're not destined to be the men who try to overcompensate their insecurities or the men who try to escape from the responsibilities. We are not destined to be those type of men. Um, in fact, you're actually destined to be uh, be more and more like the true man. You're destined to be more and more like Christ because he has united you to himself in, in through faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, His resurrection, we now actually have the power to be who He's called us to be. That instead of living out of insecurity, we actually are able to live in complete security and knowing God has specifically said to me and to all men who trust in Him, you know what? You do have what it takes. Because I made you. I made you um, in order to let you know that you have what it takes. You, you, you are enough. You are able to carry out what God's made you to do. Um, and so out of that, rather than working to prove that, it's already been proven. The, the verdict is out. You're no longer on trial to see if you have what it takes. You've been affirmed by the Most High God, and therefore He's called you to go and carry out all that He's called you to do. To be more and more like Christ. And I think about Philippians 2, uh, 5-11. In uh, the summer, we're studying Philippians. Um, Christ Him is what it's called. It's kind of a, it's, it's probably the best part of Philippians. Because when we get to see who Jesus was, um, who, who being uh, in very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing by taking the nature of man and he took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And uh, God, as a result, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And what's interesting, right before that, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it goes into what I just quoted. Um, that's true for men and women. That's not, that's not a, a man. Again, the Bible addresses, 99% of the Bible addresses both of us, all together, because we're, we're human. But I think for us as man, man, it's yours. It's yours if you're in Christ. That mind, that, that ability to selflessly give up yourself for the sake of others, to lay yourself down, it's yours in Christ Jesus. So just a couple closing thoughts. Um, the last thing is I was like, look, uh, the fourth one is God's restoration of masculinity. I've kind of already touched on it, but 
But there's going to be a day when we won't have to fight to be the man who called us to be, the man who God called us to be. That one day in glory, when we're with God, we will fully be who He made us to be. We'll be fully restored. Um, just real quick, as I close up and pray, um, a couple thoughts for us. Uh, no, I'm not going to do it. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. But um, what I would say is, um, yeah, like I said, we, we didn't touch on everything, but I'm so excited for uh, the rest of Life Trains. I think Home is going to be doing more on sexuality, which I think is going to touch on a lot of things that we, we weren't able to get into here. I think there's going to be a talk on relationships um, and, and how men and women can relate and how we should relate within in Christ. Um, and so there's a lot more to be said about this, but my hope is that we really would have come away from this with some, some uh, something to hold on to. So I've got an application here. Um, just, just a, here's your application is, what are the questions that you have about the topic of gender and or masculinity particularly that you want to talk through this summer? Who are you going to talk about? So it's uh, really your application is what, what questions do you have? What questions do you have? What things do you want to talk about? Um, and I, I put this here. The world is talking about it, and we need to too. Um, and what better place to have some of these discussions? I think that's, I'm so glad we're doing this live training. Um, and I think uh, the church Christians uh, need to get better at being on the front end of big conversations like this rather than, uh, it doesn't sound so good, I don't want to talk about that. We need to be talking about it in the house so we can be able to get understanding of what, God's, what God says about these things. Um, because we already hear it. Like, we already know you're all here and talking about it everywhere else. But why would why, we you know? So I'm thankful for this opportunity. So um, will you pray with me and then we'll get ready for church? Lord God, um, man, thank you so much for uh, the way you've designed the world, the love that you've given to us, that you would uh, make us the way you've made us. Uh, it's beautiful. It's good. Um, you're wise in how you've done it. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help uh, whatever was helpful and good and glorifying to you to stick. Whatever wasn't, let it, let it be lost. And uh, I pray that you would uh, lead this to help us to have good conversations. Uh, Lord, help us to really worship you and enjoy worship with your uh, your body this morning. So Jesus, no break. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.